Brother Doug looked at the size of the crowd and asked if it would be all right with me if we moved down to the lectern and got a little closer to everybody. And I agreed to that. Then I was sitting over there and thinking about it, and I decided, no, you people can move up here if you want. No, I didn't. I actually thought of a brother in Longmont, Colorado, who called me this week. And after I thought about that, I thought, well, I'll just come up here where the live streaming is set up and all preset and all that. Uh, This brother called and said they watch live streaming all the time out there and uh, complimented us on things and then uh, asked if there was any way that we could put the handouts on uh, the website somewhere where they could download them before the service and uh, have them to fill in while they were watching the live streaming. I said, such faith has not been seen in all of Israel yet. (laughs) You you guys don't even pick up your handouts. This guy wants them in advance. Ah, we got them. Anyhow, for... uh, the live streamers, I decided to come up here where all the uh, things are preset and maybe get a little better picture for them. All right, let's continue with our work on uh, religious liberty. We're working on training the 12 this year, uh, looking at <clears throat> Jesus' 12 apostles and how they traveled with him for a couple of years and what he trained them. Now, obviously, we want to learn so we can learn for ourselves, so we're kind of playing like we're the 13th apostle and along on this training mission and watching the same things that the apostles did and seeing what we learn out of it. So we spent most of the year so far on the apostles. We got familiar with them. A couple of weeks ago, we started on a topic of religious liberty, and there's three parts to that. Uh, Jesus and his apostles ran into trouble about the Sabbath, and about fasting, and about ceremonial washings. Uh, All of those, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, took exception to how Jesus and his apostles were doing things. So we're going through those incidents and uh, seeing if we can learn what the apostles possibly saw in all of that. Our first one was the Sabbath. We spent a couple of weeks talking about that and didn't quite get done. Uh, I have restructured the page. Uh, this page that you see on page 11 was a little bit different on page 10. Uh, I filled in some of the answers and uh, put some more things on there so we can study it a little better, hopefully. But let's review, and especially since there might be some new folks here. Uh, what we did was we looked first at the Sabbath. The law itself was real simple. God said, don't work on the Sabbath. Cease work. That's what Sabbath means, is to cease, uh, to rest. So stop work on the Sabbath. Uh, and it's a gift to man. It's for man, is what the Old Testament said. Now, what happened from there was what men did to that very simple commandment. Uh, and man does this. Man said, hold it now, we got to make sure we know what work is. So let's define work and make sure everybody knows that so they won't break the law. Good intentions, but off it went uh, down the 
the deep spiral to where it ended up by the time Jesus came along. Uh, and we talked about the oral law that the Jews had. They believed God gave that to Moses. The rabbis orally kept that tradition and repeated it over and over through the years. It wasn't written down till about 200 years after Christ. So when Jesus got there, they had these few thousand years of oral tradition that were repeated or kept among the rabbis. And what those traditions were, were explanations of the law, in a sense, offense around the law, the way they thought of it. God explained it more to them, supposedly. Uh, actually, the rabbis, I think, explained it more to themselves. But they wanted to make sure nobody ever broke the law. So you start with a law that says don't work on Saturday, and you start drawing fences around that so nobody will possibly work on Saturday. You got to define it more and more and more. Uh, about 200 years after Christ, those oral traditions were written down for the first time. That's called the Mishnah, which is uh, explaining the Torah, the five books of law. And the Mishnah was written down with all those rabbinical traditions. And then after that, more rabbis commented on it. That's the Gemara. And together, the Mishnah and the Gemara make up the Talmud, which is 6,700 pages long. Okay, so you start with, where's the first five books? Right about there. You start with that much Bible, and you end up with 6,700 pages of people saying, this is what that means. So you make sure you don't ever mess up. Okay, once again, good intentions, but that's where things had devolved to by the time Jesus came along. Uh, and the process, I mean, it's kind of logical when you think through it, but like a lot of man's processes, by the time we get done, you say, whoa, how did we get there? Uh, the first question was by the rabbis, okay, what's work? Well, they said, let's start with, since all we know for sure is God said don't work on the Sabbath, and he also said don't move the tabernacle on the Sabbath. So, aha, there's a connection. So let's start with the don't move the tabernacle. And let's think of everything that it might take to move the tabernacle or build the tabernacle or have anything to do with the tabernacle. And maybe we've defined work. And so they came up with 39 different acts that might be involved in building or moving or creating the tabernacle. And those are printed out in the, one of your lessons. I forget which page it is, nine probably. Uh, then they needed some details about those. So, and draw more fences around it. So I came, I looked up a few examples. For instance, one of their 20 and 39 acts was don't sow. Since there's showbread in the tabernacle, and to get showbread, you would have to sow some seed. So you can't sow on the Sabbath. That's got to be work. Okay. I'd agree that's probably work. Well, by the time they got to writing the Mishnah down, some rabbis had thought through it enough to say, okay, if you've got a vase with cut flowers in it, if you put water in there, you're trying to keep the flowers alive, trying to grow them, kind of. So 
You can't add water to a vase of flowers on the Sabbath. Okay? That's a fence around sowing. We'll define it a little bit further out there for you. Uh, one of the things they came up with was shearing. If you're going to make animal skins for the tabernacle, you'd have to shear a sheep, all that, so you don't shear a sheep. Well, the rabbis took that on out there, drew enough fences that you couldn't get a haircut on Saturday, couldn't cut your fingernails on Saturday. Okay? Too close to shearing. Okay? Uh, and this is how the reasoning went, and it just kept going out further and further. You can't, you can't put out a fire on the Sabbath. Okay? Uh, that's work, putting out a fire. Well, the rabbis sat around and thought about this and said, what if your house catches on fire? That's a good question. Okay? And their ruling, their thinking, their reasoning through all of this, the way they looked at the law was, no, you can't put your house fire out if it's on fire. That's work. Now, if there's a Gentile close and you can hire him to put it out for you, that's okay. But you can't put it out. And then some other rabbi at some point said, well, how about all the stuff in your house? Well, you can't carry stuff on the Sabbath. You can't carry things out of your house on the Sabbath. And another rabbi said, well, what about your clothes? Can you the clothes you're wearing, can you get out of your house with them? They said, oh, yeah. So the rule became... You could wear as many clothes out of the house as you could get on. Okay? And then where their argument came was, some other rabbi said, well, what if you wear half of your closet full out, take them off and go back in and redress? Can you do that? No, we don't know about that. They're still arguing about that one. Okay, so here's the process. Uh, and once you start down that road of trying to explain it, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, up to 6,700 pages. Okay, now Jesus comes into that environment, traveling around with his apostles, and he does some things that the Pharisees say that's work. They have defined it as work in all of their thinking and all of that. So they jump on Jesus about it. And that's what we're looking at. There's five instances where they had a confrontation, and we're looking at what Jesus said and what the apostles learned. Okay, the first one was the disciples were hungry, so they picked some grain out of a field and ate it. Actually, they picked some heads of grain, and they rubbed it together, and then they ate the grain. Okay, Pharisees were watching. They said, that's work. You can't work on the Sabbath. You can't harvest, you can't winnow, you can't do this. Okay? And then in the same story, right after that, they went into town and there was a man with a shriveled hand and Jesus healed him and they said, that's work. You can't heal on the Sabbath. Okay? So what we wrote down here, and we went through them, we read it all last week, uh, I wrote down what I underlined in those scriptures. Uh, here's Jesus' response. Jesus said, well, David ate the showbread. He reminded them of the story in the Old Testament where David and his mighty men were hungry, so they went into the tabernacle and took the showbread and ate it. It was against the rules, but they did it. Uh, he said, wouldn't you save a sheep if one of your sheep fell in a pit? Wouldn't you pick him out on the Sabbath? 
Wouldn't you do that good? He told them, God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Quoted from Hosea 6.6. 6. He said, it is lawful to do good. And then he told them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. In Mark's account, Jesus said this, and this is the key one. He said, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then we noted in Luke that the Pharisees' reaction was they were filled with fury. In Matthew's account, it says they sought to figure out how they could kill Jesus. That's how mad they got about this rule-breaking. Okay? Next story was about the woman that was crippled for 18 years. Jesus healed her. And they said, that's work. You can't do that on the Sabbath. And he said, don't you people water your ox or your donkey? Don't you take them off of their posts where they're tied and take them over and get them a drink on the Sabbath? And the reaction of the Pharisees in that story was interesting. They told everybody else in the temple, they said, you want to be healed, you come one of the other six days. There's six days in a week you can get healed. You come back tomorrow. But don't be doing this healing stuff on the Sabbath. Third one, a man suffering from dropsy was healed. And Jesus' question to them was, if your ox or a son fell in a well, wouldn't you draw him out? Wouldn't you help him out? Well, here's a woman been crippled 18 years. Isn't it all right to... Pick her up from the uh, pain she's been under. Uh, and there's a note there that this happened at a party at a Pharisee's house, uh, which is another little twist on how the Pharisees thought about things. Okay, fourth story, an invalid at the pool. Jesus healed him. Uh, they said, you can't do that. That's working on the Sabbath. He said, my father worketh until today, and I can work too. Interesting answer. And uh, the reaction that I thought was especially interesting, this poor guy had been healed first time in his life he could walk, and he rolled his mat up and was going to carry it home. They said, you can't carry that home. That's work. Uh, Last one, a man born blind was healed. And the thing we noted there was how they intimidated his parents. Uh, In this one, actually, Jesus and the Pharisees never even got together. It was all through the third parties, uh, but they got this poor blind man's parents who he was could see for the first time in their life, and they're in their, they had them in there grilling him, grilling them about how Jesus healed him and who Jesus was and on and on. Uh, they weren't interested in the, the glory, the joy of the healing. They were intimidating his parents. Okay, so that's what we saw last week. Now, conclusions. Once again, we're the 13th apostle. If we were there, looking over Peter's shoulder, because he was surely at the front, uh, if we were looking over his shoulder while Jesus was doing all this and all this was happening, what would we learn? I hope we can keep thinking that way as we go through this year. What would we learn? And I jotted some down that I think maybe I learned from reading the accounts at least. Uh, First, I wrote down, and these are secondary lessons. I don't think they're the main things about the topic, but Jesus, the apostles learned lots of lessons. One was, sometimes you've got to stand alone. Think about how this worked. Everywhere they went, the Pharisees were watching around the corner. 
They were putting pressure on Jesus. He knew they wanted to kill him. And they were, everybody in the religious establishment was watching him all the time. And Jesus still went right ahead and did good. It would have been pretty easy to not get in trouble with the religious leaders. Of course, when you're the son of God, I guess that doesn't bother you much. But uh, we're not. We're humans. So all of these instances, it would be easy to tell the crippled woman, tell you what, I'll meet you outside in 30 minutes, and we'll take care of this. I don't have to cause any trouble. I don't have to cause any stir. Well, that's what these apostles saw every day was people watching Jesus every step they took. And when we get to fasting and washings and all that, they were watching all the time. And Jesus did good. When it was time to do good, he did good. They didn't care how many people were watching or what they thought or how upset they got or anything else. Like in one story, I think next week or the next, the apostles came to him and said, Do you know what you said upset, offended the Pharisees? Big whoop. Yeah, he didn't care if he was doing good. So I think if I was one of the apostles, I would learn that. Doing good is more important than what everybody thinks. Especially the rule-keeping kind of Pharisees we're dealing with. Second one, uh, I wrote this down, is uh, I think if I was an apostle, I would say that rule-keeping, those guys that are into that rule-keeping and that's their whole thing, they're mean people. You know, to do some of the things they did, they're just downright mean. And you look through these, that's why I wrote the reactions down for you. When you look through there, you've got to be pretty cold-hearted to do some of the stuff they did. You know, I mean, we know people followed Jesus to be healed. So here they are in the temple on the Sabbath, and Jesus heals one of them. And these guys jump in the face of all the others and say, you've got six days to be healed. Come back tomorrow. Don't come on the Sabbath expecting to be healed. That just seems extremely mean to me. Uh, telling the poor guy he couldn't carry his bed home after he'd been made to walk for the first time in his life, that's kind of mean. And the parents of the poor guy just made blind, made to see uh, not only him, but the blind guy. They intimidated them all. That just All of that just seems mean to me. I think if I was an apostle, I would note that. That there's something wrong with people that their, their whole life is defined by keeping rules. And that's how they define their relationship with God and everything else. And if you break their rules, well then you're in trouble. You're an outcast. And they're not too kind about that sometimes. Okay, now, let me make a couple comments about that, because always problems. Uh, first, I'd say this. I'd say, I'm not sure we got any rule keepers to the extent that the Pharisees were rule keepers. I mean, I know we got some legalistic people. I know we got some brothers and sisters that, that have a list of things that they think, okay, this is the way God wants it. 
but it's usually not because they've thought through it and added defenses and all that. It's just, that's what they're used to. It's just the custom with them. It's just their tradition. And the, over the years, they've defined it, and that's what they're comfortable with. And so if you get outside that a little bit, they may get a little bit hostile. But I don't think we got rule keepers like the Pharisees were rule keepers. Uh, there's some that get kind of close sometimes, and uh, I want to apply all of this as much as I can to today. So the one similarity, I thought, is I've seen some writings and we're not going to get into this topic, but I've seen some writings in the area of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Well, they're pretty mean. Okay, They think they've got all the rules figured out. And so they make a list of rules that here's what you got to do, no matter what, in whatever situation and all that. And some of them, if you stop and read them and say, you really think somebody ought to do that? I mean, it's just, it's completely wacky. It just, it's counter, it's not anything like God would think. It's hateful. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the one I can identify off the top of my head as an area where people make some pretty mean rulings. And when I read stuff like that, that anytime I read somebody that's got everything figured out about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, uh, I say they haven't been in the real world very long. Now they need to get out and see the real world occasionally instead of staying in their room and writing epistles about things. Uh, but that gets pretty close to mean sometimes. And some other rulings we come up with may be kind of mean sometimes. Uh, Second, second thing I want to say about this is when young people, I think, hear this, I think they do it on their own a little bit, but when they hear something like this and I say rule keepers are mean and all that, they say, aha, you know, all rules are bad. You know, you, you can't tell me I can do this or I can't or that. Of course, that's the spirit of this age. Don't mistake me here. There are rules. Okay. The Bible's not not full of rules, but there's a lot of rules in there. But they are basic, they're simple, they're good for man. Okay? What we're talking about is taking those basic, simple, good for man rules and adding offense and adding offense and adding offense until we say, you got to do this to make sure you don't do this. Okay? That's wrong. But to say... You've got to keep the rules. There's rules you've got to keep, folks. And they're good for you. They're a gift to you. That's the principle. So younger people especially hear something like that, that, well, all rule keepers are mean. Uh, then if you tell me I can't do something, then you're mean. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> Not even close. All right, primary lessons. What did the apostles learn about this? Okay, here's the biggie. Jesus went back to the original principle. Pharisees were 6,700 pages deep into theology. Yeah. Jesus just went back to the original. 
He said, let's go back and see what God said. God said, don't work on the Sabbath. The original principle, the original purpose, and he knew the purpose. I think that's what he meant when he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I think he was saying, I know what the Sabbath is about, boys. You know, I was there. We talked about that before we had had it written down on stone. We, we, I understand this. Uh, he may have meant a few other things about him when he said that, but I think he was telling them mainly that he understood the Sabbath law. And when they gave him a man-made definition of what broke the law or fulfilled the law, he didn't just take it as it was. He tested it against the original intent. All right, you're telling me I can't heal somebody on the Sabbath because you think that's work. Let's think through this. And that's what he'd do. He'd say the original intent was the Sabbath was made for man. It's a gift for man. It was to make his life better. So you're telling me that I can't heal somebody? And then he gave them these reasons down here that we'll get to next. But that was what he first did. It always goes back to the original intent, the original purpose. What does God mean by this? Why did he give us that law? And when we see that, uh, we see that where the real problem came in was how they looked at the Sabbath. Jesus looked at the Sabbath for what it was. He said, this is a gift for man. So anything that's a gift for man, you keep it by doing what's best for man. What's best for your body? What's best for your soul? What's best for that crippled woman over there? What's best for this blind guy? happens to be the Sabbath, okay, I'm going to do what's best for these people. That's the way he thought about the Sabbath. It was made for man, so if I can, I can do good on the Sabbath. Okay. The way the Pharisees looked at the Sabbath was the Sabbath is a restriction on man. It says you can't work. And we got to make sure we know what work is, and we're going to define it so tight that you won't ever even get close to working on the Sabbath. And anybody that is a really good Sabbath keeper, they go as far as possible, and they make the most effort to abstain from anything close to wrong, whether that's good for you or not. Can you put out the fire burning down your house? It might be working, so no, you can't. Can you carry things out of your house if it's burning down on the Sabbath? Well, no, you can't, because that might be work. Actually, you know what they really made the rule in the Mishnah? Is you can carry out enough food to get you through the Sabbath. And then the next day you got to start fresh. 
Okay? I mean, that's looking at the, the law completely 180 degrees out of how Jesus looked at it. They saw it as a restriction, and keeping it, good keeping of the Sabbath, was whoever worked the hardest at staying as far away from ever getting anything wrong as possible. Sounds weird, but that's the way they looked at it. Two views. So, big lesson, how do you look at God's law? You check the original intent. You think about it. It doesn't mean you can break laws. Jesus never broke the Sabbath. He never challenged the Sabbath law. He challenged what men said was breaking or fulfilling of the Sabbath. Okay, now listen to his arguments and see how they all fit into that. One of his arguments was that some work is necessary. It's merciful. David eating the showbread, that was one argument. What he's saying there is hunger trumps the rules. I know the rules said don't eat showbread, but that was to show how holy it was and all of that. And if somebody's hungry, if they're starving to death, It doesn't break any principle of God if they eat the showbread. Now, that doesn't mean God didn't have rules and enforce them about holiness. When they messed up with the uh, Ark of the Covenant and put it on an ox cart and all of that, Uzzah died for it. Because they had pressed it so far and all that. But it wasn't a matter of mercy to some man, it was they just disregarded God's law. And if you look at it, he let them go a long ways before he finally killed somebody. They'd messed up repeatedly. He'd been merciful for quite a while. Um, So in that case, no, God wants man's best for man. David and his men were hungry. That's okay. That had to make the Pharisees think a little bit. To Jesus thinking, he's a rule made for man wouldn't make a man starve. A rule made for man wouldn't tell somebody that had been crippled all their life, you got to wait till tomorrow. Yes, you can have relief today, but you got to come back tomorrow. To Jesus, that didn't make sense. So that was his argument. If you would treat your ox or donkey or son or this way, why can't I be merciful to a human? The law's for man and work that's merciful. And I put work in parentheses because it wasn't really work. He was saying, this isn't work. Being merciful. Healing somebody. Okay. One of his arguments, statements, was God desires mercy more than sacrifice. Okay? The principle is more important than the to-do list. That's what the Pharisees did. They, they got so far away from the principle that all they had was a to-do list. And Jesus reminded them, he said, now your forefathers did this before. <laughs> they got where they kept the to-do list. On Saturday, they were making them sacrifices. And not a one of them had a drop of mercy in their heart. 
And God sent them off into captivity and told them, I would rather see mercy than all your sacrifices. In fact, he told them, I hate your solemn assemblies. Because you're doing them as a to-do list instead of thinking of the principle. I hate them. So he reminded and I'm sure the Pharisees got that drift when he told them that. Uh, okay. Okay, common sense, common practice, show that it's okay to show mercy or to do good on the Sabbath. That's he was pointing out when he was telling them, You'd take an ox or a sheep or your son out of danger. You let your donkeys loose to go get a drink of water. Common sense shows you that you can do something merciful on the Sabbath. Yeah, you may define it as work. Well, you've defined around that and made sure that's all right. Uh, you've thought through that. Well, just because you call healing somebody a work or picking a piece of grain off a stock and call that work... That's not common sense. All of these arguments he was giving them was taking it back to the original principle. Okay? Uh, last one he said, a little bit deeper argument. He said, my father is still working on Saturday, so I can. Well, you think about it, God does work every day. And Jesus was the Son of God. We tend to call it providence these days, but... God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. He keeps the universe spinning. He's, he's working every day in that sense. And Jesus said, I, I'm kind of above this. Gee, my father's working. I can work. Okay. Back to the original intent all the time. Now, I think I already said this. Let me emphasize it. Jesus never challenged the Sabbath. He never broke the Sabbath for sure. And he never challenged the Sabbath. He never argued with them. Well, that's a dumb law. Or I'm, I'm able to cancel that law if I want to, which he did later. But he never argued. It was the law, so he kept the law. He did what his father had said. But when they got away from the original intent, when they went against common sense, he said no. And I, and I think you'll see between now and the next two weeks, there's a difference in Jesus' attitude. He wasn't really harsh with them on this. He just reasoned with them. He just put a counter-argument out there. In fact, in one case, the blind man, he didn't even go confront them. He knew they were mad at him. He knew they were picking on him. But he didn't even go argue with them. Okay. Next week, when we get to ceremonial washing and then to fasting, which were not laws of God, he got a little harsher with them. Okay. Where they'd made one up out of nothing, he jumped in the middle of it. Okay. But where they'd taken a real law, and, and like I said, with a good intent, tried to pe keep people from breaking the law, he just reasoned with them. He said, don't you see this? Don't you see that you're merciful to donkeys? Can't I be merciful to this poor woman? He wasn't harsh or mean to him at all, really, in any of this argument. And there's some things he gets 
real harsh with them about. Okay, and we'll see those in the, we'll get introduced to it in a couple of weeks. And then when we get into some of the other topics, we'll find out Jesus really jumped on them sometimes. But uh, you look through here, he just kind of said, you guys ought to think about the original intent. And this is all right, what I'm doing. Okay, uh, hopefully that wraps the Sabbath part up. Uh, next week we'll go to the back of the page, which is about ceremonial washings, and uh, see if we can learn something about that. They've done the same thing. Except this one, there wasn't any command about washing. They just dreamed it up. They said, we want to make sure everybody's not touched something unclean. Uh, so we're going to have some all sorts of rules and regulations about purification. And make sure everybody symbolically is pure. Uh, as a note of interest, the largest section of the Mishnah is about purifications about how to do all this stuff and make yourself ceremonially pure, which Old Testament doesn't have anything about it. But they made, it made them look good. So Jesus is a little harsher with them next week. All right, thanks for your uh, attendance and your attention. If you have any uh, need of this family tonight, we'd be happy to help you here at the front. I'll be here, and we're going to stand and sing a song. If you need anything, come to the front. Let's stand.